Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My voice is completely gone. It's a ridiculous state of being. I think this World Cup is going to cost me my voice almost permanently. I don't think I've ever put it through as much. And like those World Cup warm-up videos, those World Cup preview videos, were pretty bad for it. Yes. <laughs> You'd lost it, and then you regained it, and then Uruguay started playing really well. Yeah. And then now Portugal and Chile are going to keep playing really well. I think this is the fourth time I've almost lost my voice in, what, a week and a half? Yeah, yeah. Mine's a little bit hoarse, but mine's not lost. It's not even that, is it? It's a week. It's a oh, week yeah. and a day. Yeah. Jeez, okay. So... We are recording this about, what, one in the morning? Almost half one yeah. in the morning. Uruguay have just pushed France incredibly hard. Yeah. It was one of the best games of the tournament. One of the most fun to watch. Entertaining, thrilling. Very close to being one of the top three upsets in the history of rugby union. Yeah. We're recording this from our room in Toulouse mm. as well. Uh, which is an incredible place to watch incredible. a game of rugby like that. Um, just one of the best places I've ever been to watch a rugby. Yeah. It's such a. We'll get onto Uruguay, obviously, but it's such a rugby mad town. Like as soon as we landed here, straight away you're seeing like pictures of like Anthony Jolanche everywhere and so on. Like and even like you know women's rugby, like you see yeah. like Laura Sanseus, um for photos of her about the place and stuff. It's such a lovely place to visit, just generally. I and walked into the a supermarket, a supermarché, mm-hmm. a casino, the big casino supermarket, which oh, for some yeah. reason is called Casino. I went to one of those. Yeah. Again. That's the end of the story. They were I playing Good Ones one. by Charlie XCX in there. Nice. Good one. Anecdote that is. And they just had, in the entrance of the supermarket, just a life-size cardboard cutout of Antoine, Antoine Dupont. Oh, yeah. I've just heard of him. standing there. Just standing yeah. there. Yeah. Just bloody love their rugby around here. It's great. It's great. And we went to the fan zone to go and watch that. And... That is one of the best decisions we've made yeah. this whole time out here. I think it might be the best atmosphere I've ever watched a rugby match that wasn't in the ground for, yeah. you know, yeah. where I wasn't at the stadium itself. Just an unbelievable, amazing atmosphere throughout. Yeah. And obviously it was a France game, so that leads an extra level. But like, there were other people getting behind Uruguay there. Uh, we were getting some odd looks for being so passionately, so loud. Yeah, we're like jumping Uruguay. up and down every yeah. time Uruguay did anything good or one scrum pen or whatever. We I got, got like one very dirty look from a you know a girl in her early twenties who just yeah. like looked at me with sheer disgust at me cheering for Uruguay. Yeah, when Echeverry had his try chalked off, mm. there was like this group of French guys behind us who were like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry for Uruguay." <laughs> uh, they're like, "You know what? You guys are playing well." And I was like, "Yeah, we are." Yeah, wink, wink, wink. Viva le Uruguay. Indeed, vamos, vamos. So, this has been, when we come to the end of the tournament and we start to wrap it up, one of the games I'll look at as one of my favourites, one yeah. of the real standouts, one of the games that when you look at what this podcast has been going back mm. over the last few years, where we've gone back over old World Cup games, one of the World Cup games I'll be most excited to come to in a five years' time. I thought yeah. that during the game of like how excited I am to do this, yeah. you know, to come back and talk about this game in a few years' time. And look see at how it, it ages. You know, yeah. Look, at, I mean, we were just talking off air about the growth of Uruguayan rugby. The nations in in rugby that who have kind of the highest ceiling, the biggest mm. room for growth, 
we're looking at Chile, we're looking at Portugal, we're looking at Uruguay, right? Yeah. So Chile are right at the start of their journey. This is the first generation of like, as I said, it's essentially a scratch team they've put together who are going toe-to-toe with the, the greats yeah. of the game. Uh, Portugal are on their second generation, having done 2007, having had these players that were inspired by that, who are now all coming through. Uruguay are kind of like stage 2.5, you know, yeah. approaching stage 3 of this. And that is going to go through the roof at that point. Yeah, because I do think it's interesting because you don't have as clean a narrative as you do with Portugal where all those players, or an awful lot of those players, are inspired by the 2017, mm. right? So you have players like Portea, whose fathers were part of that team. Yeah. But you also have players, you know, like uh, Nuno Sosa-Guedes, like, you know, Storty, who were either kids who watched on TV and discovered rugby and asked to be brought along to a rugby club, all like Raphael Storti just had mates who started playing rugby because of 2007 and yeah. gets brought along himself and ends up playing for the national team. Yeah. Right? Like, all of that is coming directly from 2007. Like, yeah. this is a direct lead-in. There isn't quite as clean a narrative with 2003 and 1999's Uruguay team. Mm. You do have one big lead-in, one big connection to the 1999 and 03 Uruguay teams, right? There's two players in particular that stand out. One is Ormachea, whose son is now playing for his current team. Played 2015, 2019, now 2023. Three World Cups, which is a hell of a run for Uruguay. You know, for when they qualified in 2015, they hadn't been to that many World Cups, and now Mm. he's been to three himself. But the other key man in that team, the other real standout, the other player who had the best career, is Pablo Lemoyne. Yeah. Who had a brilliant career playing for Bristol and Stad primarily, a bit for Brief as well. And then went on to become a coach, moment he retired. Inside like 18 months, two years of retiring, he was made the national team coach implements based on what he learned in France all kinds of high performance programs yeah. has since gone on to do the same in Chile but he is he kickstarted something and he kickstarted this ability for Uruguay to start to dream right and then they bring in Esteban Meneses yeah. who was at the time I've talked about in previous videos but was talked about in a meeting to which the Uruguayan Rugby Union was, uh, was invited as the most promising young coach in Argentina. They then go, oh, brilliant. They break the bank for him. They bring him in immediately, like inside a month, mm. to replace uh, Lemoyne when he leaves. And from there, Meneses has done one of the wonder jobs in world rugby in terms of yeah. building consistently. There's very few coaches in world rugby who can say have just outright done a better job of what they've been given than yeah. Meneses. It's the fact that you know, he picked up the scraps of a team in 2015 who were happy to be there. Mm. And, like, the first time we will have watched Uruguayan rugby at Rugby World Cup, it was that, I think his name, yeah, I, I want to say his name one. was Albanese scoring against Fiji, and there were, and Ormachea as well, and them being delighted to score two tries in a Rugby World Cup. Well, Ormachea scored, yeah. Yes, and the hooker, I think he's called Albanese, yeah, I want to say that. That sounds right. But anyway, they were delighted to score two tries in a Rugby World Cup match, and that, those were the only two tries they scored in the whole tournament. Mm. And yeah, they were just happy to be there. And you wouldn't have thought that four years on from that, they'd be getting a big upset against Fiji. And obviously, Lemoyne and subsequently Meneses have put in these kind of 15-year plans, 10-year plans, yeah. and now five-year plans or whatever, to keep growing that. They've gone from being one of those, yeah, fifth-place teams that you just go, oh, go on then, like in a kind yeah. of almost patronising way. To... The spot Namibia have occupied since yes. 99. Exactly. To them becoming, like, the fact that they qualified as a fourth-ranked team mm. here was pretty special and they've rocked up today and shown like they're not going to say they don't want that well, they want me... to be an automatic qualifier yeah. 
And it just goes to show that as ambitious as it sounds for Manesis to say in four years' time we want to eventually become a quarter-finalist, mm. it's entirely possible. Yeah, and it's been a really steady growth. Like, you just look at their qualifications, right? In 2015, they qualify as the last seed from the repechage. They are the best yeah. of the rest. They just sneak in by, like, two points. I think it might have been one point Yeah, against Russia. Just narrowly win it. And then you have 2019, they qualify as America's two. So they yeah. don't have to go through the repechage and they qualified a bit earlier. The thing Daminara said after that Fiji game that they started preparing that game and preparing for that particular game against Fiji Since the moment years. they qualified. Yes. Right? And like, if they'd gone through the repechage, they couldn't have done that. They couldn't have yeah. been focused on the game for two years. Yeah. Instead, they were, fo- you know, they would have had six months, eight months to focus on it. Yeah. And actually, that extra time gave them time and fitness and focus and ability to really build their schedule around yeah, those games. Yeah, depth as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to build depth, to change the team. And then this time, they qualified as America's One, yeah. which meant they qualified in 2020. And they have had two and a half years of yeah. being qualified and able to lead and prepare specifically for this. On top of the fact this entire squad is now fully professional, yeah. most of them are playing together, and you've got a handful playing in the Pro Data, which is, you know, grand. But you've built this really stable Everything team. has gone to plan. Yeah. So far. And, yeah, so you go from them increasing the way they're qualified... To then their results in the tournament going from zero wins, as you say, like they were delighted to score those nine points, three penalties against Wales, you know, in the yeah. game we lost 54 9. You then have 2019, of course, one of the biggest upsets in rugby history, beating Fiji out of nowhere. Yeah. To now building to here, where they're pushing France, like the favourites for the tournament, the host nation, and they're pushing France yeah. to a point in which, like, if it wasn't for that charge down, at the end, Uruguay are looking for a try to win it. Yeah. It's unbelievable as an achievement. One thing I think is really telling of what you were just on about is when Uruguay named their squad, mm. there was a conversation around it mm. of, like, Oh, they've not picked Felipe Bocchese, yeah. who is one of the professional players. Well, like the most experienced player in that squad, probably. Yeah. With the exception of maybe Andres Vedasecker. But it's those guys, you yeah. know? And you look at that and you go like, oh, Bocchese's on the bench. Clearly, it's deliberate. It's not like, oh yeah, uh, he's the only the only player we have in that position, so we have to pick yeah. him, you know? It's like, oh no, he's an experienced head, we can afford to put him on the bench because Echeverry is fantastic you know yeah. same with um Orbachea, you know being on the bench with Arata coming back in after his injury like Diana going on the bench you know mm. having been one of kind of the main guys yeah. in 2019 and the fact that there was a, a taller conversation around the squad that they picked was extremely telling of just again the amount of depth that they managed to build from qualifying in that America's one spot you know as you say the earlier they qualify the earlier they can prepare and the conversation's all been around Italy and Namibia yeah therefore it became very clear today that they've prepared individually for all four games yeah I'm really interested to see what they do against New Zealand yeah because that kind of game it kind of feels like the Lambs the Slaughter game to me yeah kind of the game where you rest the first team yeah because you can make a real statement against France Italy are now in a situation where I don't know if Kieran Crowley have been hearing the noises about Manessas wanting to beat them mm. uh, I'm sure he assumed that everyone was saying that and just kind of wrote it off yeah. Um, especially having, you know, knowing some about Kieran Crowley and like great guy, great coach, but also I think he has a little bit of that very all blacks attitude of assuming they're a bit better than everyone else sure, and like sure. looking down their nose, which is like a real I don't mean that in a negative way, you know, no. I think a lot of like the best players of all time have that attitude and that's yeah. a lot about why they get as far as they do. Yeah. Know? Ignorance actually, goes a long way in rugby man. Yeah, he needs to well, yeah, we'll really show that very well. Um <laughs> but he needs to install some of that in Italy, some of this like yeah. actually we're just better than you. 
you know, and actually there was almost too respect, too much respect shown to Namibia the other week. Yeah, which Vasily Artemov would have been delighted by. You know, just Indeed. Any sort of respect. Loves a bit of respect. That's a callback for anyone. Really and Bill Beaumont, he loves respect. Bill Beaumont loves values, man. Yeah, he loves values and Risby Rapple ice cream. Risby Rapple. Risby Rapple. <laughs> Look, he's a man who knows what he likes. But yeah, just the way in which Uruguay have improved, prepared for this game, and you figured this wasn't going to be one of the games they target. They were looking at Italy mm. and they were looking at Namibia. Yeah. As two games to get two wins, which would be a hell of a result out of that. And suddenly, that dream of being Italy looks very possible. Because I think, I really believed it until Italy started getting better and better. Yes. And at that point, you started to go, oh god, is it now? That's going to be far a game, away, isn't it? Now, now I don't know if it is. Now I think that's really on the cards. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a game. Both of them are going to approach that in quite different ways, I think. Yeah. The thing is, like... Uruguay came with such an attacking brand of rugby. I'd have yeah. thought that if you're going to push France close, you would have to keep them in their half the entire game. Uruguay did no such thing, that they really, really attacked. We'll talk about... So, France obviously get that penalty really early on mm. in the game. And it's one of those... We've all seen this before in the World Cup, where it's just like, generically, get yourself on the board, settle the nerves, and then you just <sighs> let rip, yeah. right? But for Uruguay to just immediately strike back and Echeverry's crossfield kick to Freitas for that opening try mm. yeah and so there's a really nice sequence of phases leading into it as well and obviously mm. I haven't had the chance to watch this back because it's it's coming up on 2am and we're in the middle of Toulouse and it's been fantastic and my voice is going but their lead in their build up work was really nice the way they just controlled the ball and won it back and then Echeverry, I thought they looked absolutely superb with him at 10 he was fantastic called the right shapes the whole time obviously had that try uh, chalked off of his own but like every single time he called the right play yeah um, looked absolutely outstanding in attack yeah and this is the thing right so I remember watching Uruguay playing Brazil Chile and Argentina A in 2020 the first games back after the World Cup mm. and after the pandemic and Chile beat them under 22-23 which is an absolutely enormous result for Chile kind of set a lot of what's happened since in motion but we had that entire tournament you had actually very playing 10 Felipe Pichese had been the Uruguayan incumbent 10 for what eight years or something you know yeah. you're going back to probably like 2012 he first took the shirt probably yeah. and he's been in in it since so he's probably had a pretty dream career you know as a big rugby nerd himself as a big big fan of the sport I wonder if playing in the Pro Day Duff for 10 years has dulled that at all um, but I don't know but you had Echeverry getting his first real run in the shirt and he yeah. played a bunch as his kind of understudy and slotted every now and again and played quite a lot of fullback in the last World Cup as well and in the lead into that World Cup uh, and it's a really good piece there's a good interview with him by Ignacio Chan quite recently uh, just before the tournament started maybe last week talking about his preparation for this how he almost quit because he spent a long time as a sevens player and really struggling to get into the 15s team and really want to adapt his game and so on and knowing he wasn't quite necessarily what Menezes was looking for and eventually breaking in really really good piece really yeah, well okay. worth reading worth finding Ignacio Chan fantastic follow as well one of yeah, definitely. the prime Uruguayan journalists on, on rugby just really good Really good follow on the Twitter or in uh, life. If you happen to be in Montevideo and fancy just stalking a journalist, he's, you won't find a better one. I do not condone that or condores that to go to the other Brilliant. South American team. But no, yeah, so Echeverry was apparently close to quitting rugby at one point five years ago and then, you know, worked around and apparently after the last World Cup, like really triggered him into motion and really made him kind of enjoy it and yeah. love it more than Because he was one of those, in the last World Cup, he was one of those players who was extremely good in cameo roles. Yeah. You know? So the thing that really caught me out, really bothered me about him when he first started getting rid of the shirt was he had this real need to do something on every touch. Mm. And every single touch, he'd look to draw a defender, he'd look to try and fix someone, he'd look to try and put a kick in. And if he wasn't personally contributing and helping them get close to scoring a try, he kind of seemed like he felt the touch had been wasted. Sure. And over the last three years, he's just through, I think, playing a lot of rugby at the highest levels 
or at higher level, certainly. And he's been trusted by Manessa. Yeah. Right? So he has played the majority of games. I think we're looking at Bocchesi having maybe three or four starts in four years. Mm. And Echeverri starts the majority of games. And even the ones where Bocchesi starts as well, he starts the fullback. So he yeah. had a dual playmaker system there as well. So he's played an awful lot. And he's developed this real patience. And I think that really shone there. That when he was calling the ball out, he wasn't doing it needlessly. He wasn't just trying to throw passes endlessly. He wasn't trying to fix every single man. Yeah. He was really spotting when things were on and going. Yeah. Um, and that's the real development that he's worked on the last few, you know, three or I four years. I think that's why the Uruguayan attack looked so good. Yeah. It's because, like, the option to kick was always on for him. Yeah. He could have done that if he wanted to. Hence the, the Freitas try at the start, right? That the mm. attack looked so good that B.A. Bailly goes in really tight into that defensive line and so drops that ball and the space is in there and behind for Freitas, who finished that brilliantly and shushed the crowd, which is also <laughs> hilarious and very he's brave. He's used to play in the Pro you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing that. He said, Echeverri, in that interview as well, that playing the kind of kicking and very passionate style they were playing in 2019 mm. will help them win certain games. Yeah. But they're not going to beat France, Italy or New Zealand by playing that style. They need to play far yeah. more attacking and open style. Extremely brave, isn't it? As an yeah. Approach. So it's both incredibly brave. And also, they're going into this going, well, what game plan do we need to beat France and the All Blacks? Mm. And we've seen one of those come far close to anyone to give them a chance to get close to it's 2am I apologise for that I can't do words very well but like no one was giving them this strong a chance you know and it wasn't even like like I thought they'd give Fiji a real proper game last time I wasn't saying they'd win it yeah you know and like I thought Uruguay were going to be a further step up this time but I thought we'd see that in the Italy game we both I think thought that they were going to give France a bit of a game yeah but not for 80 whole minutes. No, exactly I thought they were going to fall off by then yeah I thought they'd give them a really good first half where it's like you know, they're the competitive. France has scored a couple of tries, but they're quite jammy ones, and it's not necessarily them like blowing them away. Yeah. And then the floodgates will open for the last half hour. Yeah, know? exactly. Which seems like a reasonable. Like, that would still have been a step up against yeah. this favourites for the tournament side that they're playing against. Like, it's a gargantuan effort to play against those well, guys. This is the best side a Uruguayan team has ever played against. Yeah. Right? They played the England team in 2003. But yeah. this is another deal in terms of the ability to play rugby for sure you know in terms of the ability to score points to blow sides away yeah know? this is the best team they've ever played and they play the All Blacks in two weeks time it's just an absolutely heroic effort to get yeah. into that position in the first place and then especially the way they then start to pull away like the thing that's most impressive about mm. this and was more impressive about Uruguay tonight than it was about the All Blacks in round one is that both of those tries they broke the French defence down yes rather than it being breakaway both times it was extremely scripted you know the way that they attacked and then eventually they managed to open up a gap out wide and I think the thing that really sticks with me about how good their attack was was that break that Batista Basso made at the start of the second half Mm. like where he runs that line coming from originally inside Echeverri then onto his outside and then he runs that lift ball and then breaks the line and goes for it. And like they nearly scored off the back of that. And in fact, that eventually led to Amaya's try, doesn't it? I think that no, was, no, 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 that was a while was later. That a bit no. later. Anyway, but point being, that was very nearly a try. Yeah. Um, and that moment was kind of like, oh, wait, Uruguay are extremely composed. They know exactly how they're approaching this. And that's the thing. It's an extremely brave tactic. But clearly they are so insanely well drilled that it doesn't have to be brave. 
But this is the benefit of them playing together all the time. Yeah. Right. So you've both got the fact that most of the team are playing at Penarol at yeah. the same club together. Obviously, they've got a handful who aren't, but mm. Villaseca and Freitas are both at Van, so the same club in the Pro Deux. Yeah. And so you've got a hand, you know, still so got a unity there together. And then, you know, the, the halfbacks are so used to playing together, even though they're at different clubs as well. Yeah. They just play together forever in the national team shirt, so none of it's an issue. There's a real cohesion to them, there's a Definitely. real trust. But there's also an ability for a coach like Mane says to just drill them and make them fit and make them understand the cores and understand their shapes perfectly. That's it. Even the players who do are slightly more kind of, I guess, individual in mm. terms of the, where they play. Them. The likes of like Lendeka, like he plays top 14, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And plays to an extremely good standard yeah. there as well. Like he's going to be no trouble as a leader coming straight back into that side. You know? Yeah. And that's the incredible thing, right? So in the last four years, since the last World Cup, Uruguay have played one game against a Tier 1 nation, which was a 19-12 loss to, to Italy, where they in the last minute were looking for a try to equalise, which would have been incredible. So they came very close there. Yeah. Other than that, right, only two of their players have played top flight rugby. Arata and Landeca are playing the top 14. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the team are playing either in the Pro de Deux in France or in Super Rugby Americas, yeah. which is, you know, like a obviously an incredibly high standard and a fully professional standard these days but it's not playing in the premiership playing in the top 14 playing in the ULC playing in Super Rugby those guys were absolutely like top end international class yeah or teetering on the brink of world class tonight weren't they Arata is so interesting because uh, we were talking constantly about the game referring back to the Arata bullshit factor yes that he can do the DuPont thing of just randomly popping up and making an absolutely bullshit break and he only once went for that and it got Talfa Fanua sent to the bin yeah uh, because that was the only way they could stop him was by essentially beheading him yes um, but Given it was Arata's first game back from what a was a very, yeah, a very touch and go injury, yeah. um, there is definitely going to be more of that as the tournament yeah. goes along. But he was excellent tonight. He managed the, the game really, really well. And obviously, he was outstanding in 2019. But since then, he's been a completely rejuvenated player. Yeah. He's one of the best players in club rugby in France, if not in Europe. And the experience side of him really, really shone through today. Yeah. Well, it's not a hot take for people who watch the top 14 regularly to say if he was French, he'd be on the bench for Dupont. He'd yeah. be their second he would be. choice. He would Mars. be. He would have started tonight for France. Yeah, definitely. The rest of like, he's the one player in those two team sheets where just like yeah. uncontestedly, yeah. like unequivocally, yeah, you would yeah. take him over Maxime Lucu. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Although, you then look at the performance a handful of these players put in for Uruguay, right? Completely. So, Manuel Landeca was absolutely phenomenal. He was outstanding. I'd take him over Talfa Fanu. I was, was tonight. saying this, so, obviously we're not doing this as a, a regular feature in this podcast, but who would you say was the man of the match? Because I think I would go Landeca. Uh, here's the thing, if he hadn't gone off earlier, we'd go with Manuel Ardal. Oh, he was really, who I thought really was good. absolutely unreal. But a word I for... also thought Matteo Sanguinetti, a loose head. Was fantastic. Because first it's, couple of scrums he sh- yeah. struggled, but Ben O'Keefe kind of like told him like this is what you need to do better, and he responded. And yeah. O'Keefe clearly loved that. Yeah, and suddenly he was winning scrum penalties against this bloody incredible French pack. Yeah, and also around the park, like the turnover he made early on was phenomenal. He carries his the weight amount he the was park, carrying, the amount of tackles he was putting in. I'd like I to, thought he was just sensational. I'd like to put in a word for Carlos Deuce, who okay. came with the bench in the back row. It was oh unbelievable. yeah, yeah, yeah was just like constantly like fending off like Seku Makalu and Anthony Jalanch and like Roman Taffer yeah. and like all of these absolute giants of French rugby and he made them all look constantly silly and sitting them on their arse he was unbelievable off the bench yeah Santiago Chavetta as well 
Mm. I thought superb, incredibly physical, uh, hit incredibly hard, was the top tackler on the day as well. Yeah. And like Uruguay were a constant menace at the breakdown. They weren't necessarily winning huge numbers of turnovers, but they were so hard to shift. Yeah. And they did such a good job of just slowing France down and making them feel like nothing. Like, like they did a much better job of containing the French attack yeah. than New Zealand. And ultimately they conceded one more try than they did against you know, France scored against New Zealand. Yeah. But that was a charge down try. That's it. In that first half. France found it quite easy to gain momentum and make line yeah. breaks and stuff, but not to finish him. No. Because Ardau was just being so bloody annoying at the bottom of that. Echeverry was spoken about as well, and like Villaseca mm. is just, I mean, every single game he plays is at least like a 7 out of 10. And, you know, it's almost redundant to bring him up as somebody who played really well. And Freitas, likewise. And yeah, you say that, right? It's redundant for us, but I feel like not enough of the words been given to your team credit at all. It's true. And that's a whole other conversation that we may yeah. come to. And look, we we will get into France, right? We will talk about them in a mm. moment. But I want I, to talk... Also, I, I just think the back three as well. I was going to say, yeah. Baltazar Amaya at fullback was Former fantastic. child actor. Former child actor. And now, try scorer against the host nation in a Rugby World Cup. His try is phenomenal. The thing is, the build-up to that is yeah. incredible. Like, as I say, Echeverry constantly calling the correct shapes. And there's so many points during that where you think, oh, they could try and toss this wide. Mm. And they don't take the risk. Yeah. And then eventually, the exact right one, you go, no, this is definitely the one. And that is when they get get it to Amaya, and what a run. It's, this is the thing, right? Ayama is one of those players, and I know Warren Gatlin talks about this a lot, and Steve Hansen used to talk about this, Graham Henry likewise, of, it's not only people that have coached Wales, Kiwi men that have coached Wales, Wayne Pivak doesn't say this, of he is a player who's just a born try scorer. Yeah. Like, he just scores tries, and you go through, like, his entire career for Uruguay, and his entire career at club level as well, and he just finishes. You yeah. know, he just expects to score. He took that try so, so well. Yeah, like you look at his winning try against Romania, right? And it's like, there's not much work to do, but like, there's more work than he realises he's got to do. Sure, You know, sure. there's a few things like that, like where he'll get himself into positions and he'll just finish it. Yeah. And he had a look of disbelief afterwards when he realised what he'd just done. Yeah. But a lot of players would slow down and look for the support and give them the chance to, you know, to, to link up with uh, Basso on the wing. But he doesn't. He just goes for himself and he backs himself and he finishes it. Yeah. He takes the right decision on every cause because 100%. he's so used to scoring. Yeah. And those players are completely invaluable. Yeah. And look, it was a big call to leave uh, Rodrigo Silva and, of course, friend of the channel, Gaston Mieres, out yes, of the team. indeed. Both of which fantastic players who've been great servants for your wife for a very They're long time. They're both going to have a, a part to play in this tournament, though, aren't they? Like the thing you say, right? This is the second point five generation team yeah. coming through. And a lot of these players, even though there are still a lot of players in the squad, like Silva, like, you know, Ormachea, like Bacchese, and like, the, you know, the two back three players I just mentioned, Mieres, who played in 2015, are very, very good players. Villaseca was sort of on the fringes thereabouts, and they're still going. A big part of this team were younger players who've come through since. So yeah. Ardao, who was unbelievable, is about 24? Yeah. 23, it, 24? Yeah, he's even younger. He younger yeah, than he's really, really young. He's got a huge future ahead of him. Yeah, like, I mean, Arata came through as a youngster. Echeverry, likewise, like we were yeah. saying, like... So Ardao's 25. Okay, yeah. Echeverry was saying, like, came through as a young kid in 2019, yeah. and now, like... He's just seamlessly sauced into that shit and is so much better a player than we thought he was, yeah. even having followed him since. Basso is 22, Ayama 24. Like, that's a kind of broad age profile of a lot of their team. You know, a lot of them are much younger than they were last time out. Mm. And that gives you something to really work with. Yeah. I think we should mention as well, there are kind of three or four turning points in this game, I think, have ultimately cost Uruguay. Yeah. One of them is the charge down try. Yeah. Straight Malbaca. after they scored themselves, Malbaca yeah. finishing that. 
Brilliant finish from Alvaca. You say charge down, it was into his own player. Yeah. Very, very unlucky. Yeah. Slightly dumb. Yeah. Slightly panicked. Slightly not wanting to make a mistake so much Malvaca. that they just make a mistake. Malvaca's ball yeah. skills are unbelievable. As we saw in the All Blacks game, we probably didn't give him credit at the time, but like he's an incredible athlete and yeah. took that try brilliantly. No, it's superb. And a hell of a try score, just he knows yeah. how to finish. Yeah. Same thing I was saying about Ayama. He's quality. Um, but, right, you then look at, I don't want to get into it, but that easily could have been a red card and that would have changed the game mm-hmm. massively. Uh, that would have given them a real boost when you consider how on top they got. Obviously, mm. they had to try to disallow during that period, yeah. uh, which they easily could have taken. Uruguay were really getting on top of the scrum time in particular while they were down a man and yeah. playing seven men. They probably couldn't afford to do that, at which point that opens up other space elsewhere. If you start mm. moving a winger in or a centre in, absolutely everything shuffling. I think that could have been a completely different game. I think Uruguay looked really good for exploiting that. Then I think the other key turning point wasn't a point at all in the game. It was a point beforehand when Hermann Kessler, their first choice hooker, pulled out before the match, pulled yeah. out yesterday. And the first half, God bless him, Guemo Pujas, who is a great player, former prop, great ball carrier, I thought played well in the loose, not a very good line really thrower. struggled at line And I he? think that was a struggle. Your lucky Landeca was such a great exponent yeah. there. Yeah. But, yeah, I think his darts were... Not ideal. Imperfect. I think if two of those three moments go differently for Uruguay, or maybe that try doesn't get disallowed in the first half for Echeverry, or they finish one of their other chances, this is a very different game. I also I love Felipe Pachesi, and I don't think it was a wrong decision to bring him on, but he did slow down their attack. He did. I think I I defend the decision to bring him on because yeah. they needed a longer kick. But I because think that's the one thing he definitely has over Echeverry. Maybe in future you need to be putting him on at fullback yeah. or moving Echeverry to fullback. Yeah, and still having Echeverry call the attack and run that. Yeah, uh, because Bocchesi can boot the ball and can manage a game, mm. and they're the two things you want him to do. And at the time, it felt like those were the two things you wanted Uruguay to do. Yeah, and yeah. then afterwards, you kind of go, "Oh wait, no, you wanted them to score a try." But hey, you know what? Like, good on Menezes for trusting Rolling the whole the dice. Yeah, yeah, trusting the whole twenty-three to do the job. Um, and at the at the time, that was the correct decision for him to make. So, yeah. fair play to him. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You've got to defend him for that. Let's talk about France. Sure. Do we have um, to? Yes. I've um, never I've never wanted to talk about France less during the Galtier era. Yes, because they got the job done, mm. uh, which is the sign of a good team. They were so, so far from the best. I think I would also say they were far from their worst. I'd say yeah. that they, they could have been a lot worse than that. They didn't play terribly. I think a lot of people are going to talk about France as being terrible when actually it's Uruguay just played Uruguay really well. Uruguay played really well. And I think... 
that's one of the bullshit things. Like, I hate it when people are like, oh, this team just played badly. The same thing with like, people talking about, oh, England were only good because Argentina played worse. Like, no, England were England great and so Argentina bad. were bad. Yeah. You know, Uruguay were great. And a lot of that wasn't France spilling the ball on the try line. It was Uruguay turning it over and holding Uruguay it out. Uruguay frustrated and, like, them a lot. And they were great their breakdowns, you Their defence was unbelievable. Oh, that was fantastic. That's like the... And I know the, the bloody Ruddy Data Tier 2 rugby account yeah. makes this point a lot. But it is such a decisive factor in Tier 1 v Tier 2 games. Yeah. And I think we'll probably see that tomorrow night in Toulouse. Yes. Um, with the New Zealand versus Namibia game. Yeah. Heads up with Takiyahu, my fantasy team. But <laughs> I just feel like that is the sort of thing that's come to decide those games. Yeah. Because more defence is so difficult, especially when you've got a physically bigger pack. Yeah. And Uruguay's was unbelievable. Just technical and superb. And Landeca, absolutely unbelievable. Like watching Adam Beard or Blue Charters at the best. Just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant kind of performance in that facet of the game. So... With regards to France, we, okay. Do you want to start with the highlights or the lowlights? Ooh, because there's plenty of both. No, yeah. Let's let's. I'll let you choose, please. We'll go lowlights first, and then end on a high. Okay. So, personally, big fan of the player. Quite disappointed by the official man of the match, Maxime Luku. That is a mad decision as well. I feel like he's, you know, he's captained um, Bordeaux at club level. He's in that team to be the game manager if Antoine is unavailable you know Uh, I feel like that is his role in there and there wasn't really much of a hint of that I think like on like line breaks and stuff he did Mm. well like an open play he was good but when it came to like really grabbing the game and trying to put the foot on Uruguay's throat after scoring a try and getting back downfield just to score again it didn't do it for me I'm a big fan of him as a player I think he's an absolutely class player but I don't think he did it tonight. A very bizarre it's, man of the match. The phrase I said to you, I think there's a few players in this team, especially when you saw them go to the bench so early on in the second half. Mm. You felt the audition had been failed. Yes. I think Anton Hastoy, I'm a big fan of him. I think that might have been the case for him. I think this was maybe his chance to do what, what Boxies did in 07 and yeah. have a game against perhaps a weaker team than you know the, the first choice player and force their way into the team just to be playing well. Extreme mixed that. bag from him. Wasn't yeah, it? I don't like, think he was bad. But I just think, like, his kind of discipline tactically wasn't yeah. there. I think um, he took his try brilliantly. I think yeah. it was really, really good the way he built that attack. And then there was another tr- attack not long after that that he built really well, but overshot the crossfield kick to Villiers, yeah. which was quite disappointing. And then the more Uruguay got into the game, the less and less he was in the game, which isn't what you really want, because we discussed this before, but there would have been a world in which he sneaks into the starting team ahead of like the final yeah. and they have Jalabert as the finisher. Jalabert is obviously the better player out of the two. But there there was a world in which that happens because Astoy is allegedly a much more steady, not allegedly, definitely a much yeah. more steady 10 than Jalabert is. I'm going to give you an absolutely vital stat. Again, okay. does say something about the game because often statistics may be misleading, right? Last week, France kicked the ball 44 times. Yeah. Right? Which their average is normally like high 30s. They were low 40s last week. This week, against Uruguay, France kicked the ball 22 times. Exactly half wow. last time. And I think that says a lot about Hastoy's performance, that they weren't sticking to the usual game plan of booting yeah. the ball a lot. Like, they were down a third on what they'd usually be kicking, France. Yeah. And that showed. I think there was a lot of them kind of chucking about midfield and being slightly frustrated. And I think he was slightly frustrated by the fact the game wasn't going better and stopped just sticking to the game plan of kicking a lot. And here's the thing. you can There's, there's an argument that you can say, oh... Galtier might have told him in the week not to go to that game plan to not give any way, anything away blah 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 but I do think given they didn't bring Ramos on yeah. 
there is a part of you with 20 minutes to go when you've not got the bonus point yet that goes sod it let's kick the leather off this yeah. get downfield force errors score two tries in 20 minutes and also like it's not like fans have been hiding this we've been playing broadly the same yeah. way for four years yeah they played exactly like the same last week as they yeah. have done for the last few years you know yeah, and they've come up with pretty much the spare for one point, exactly the same scoreline against yeah. Uruguay as they have against New Zealand. You know? yeah. Speaking of that New Zealand game as well, I think in that game, Gabon Villiers was excellent. Yeah, I think today he was poor. Okay, I think that a lot of that is just because he was coming up against some very feisty Uruguayans mm. who were very keen to dominate him in the tackle. as kind of one of the first teamers in there. But I do think... I think Villiers is like a bordering on world class player. He's unbelievable, like at the breakdown, finishing tries, like extremely quick, runs great lines, and so on. And defensively, he's extremely solid, great under the high ball, and so on. Uh, I've just named everything that a wing has to do. But he's, <laughs> he's so, 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 so good. But I do think he owes Galtier another good performance after that. Yeah. Because BA Bailly did no harm to his case by scoring that try at the end, even mm-hmm. though it was a bit of a walk in, don't get me wrong. But I could see him getting another run out against Namibia. And. I think Villiers has to really make it like his case known that he wants to play better. He yeah. wants to still be in that first team. I also, I really like him as a player. I enjoy watching him. I don't think Yoram Morafana has done himself any favours in these two games. He was I think, not particularly present tonight. I think he was anonymous in the game where they were expecting him to be the real attacking flair. Yeah. And I think last week he was defensively a little bit all over the shop for the first half and looked kind of overwhelmed by the occasion and I think a lot of that French team settled after about five minutes mm. and Molfarn took about 20 and I just I think he's a great player I think he's fantastic and I think he's got a big future for France to come I feel like he's the one player I look at and I go oh you can get to that guy you know that guy is not like mentally a world champion you know he's, he's you in look terms at, of talent he's a world champion you look at the 15 that France named yeah. tonight yeah. and you put him in your fantasy team, don't you? You yeah. know, I mean, I did. He's I that did. player. Yeah, there yeah. we go. And two lovely lads who we watched the game with mm. uh, in the fan zone both had Marfana in yeah. their fantasy teams. Tom and Malibu. Yes, good lads. Great lads. But yeah, highlights for France. Let's talk some of the, some of the better players. I think Artur Vincent had a really good game. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I think he was really solid defensively. I think on attack, he did all of the right things that rested is- him always been my hot take as I would have before Dante coming through and becoming the best 12 in the world mm. I would have been putting him straight in every France team yeah. uh, I think he is the third best centre of France at the minute after Ficou and Dante if one of them is injured I'm putting him ahead of Morfana every time on top of that I think obviously great to see Anthony Schlange back yeah. I think he was very solid uh, only netted me 7 points on fantasy when I thought he was going to get man of the match but hey ho but brilliant to see him back mm. um, as captain as well and you'd imagine against Namibia, he'll get another run out and he'll get slightly more time on the field. Um, another thing of interest, I think, Fabian Galtier, right? Mm. The, the evil crone himself. Indeed. I think played a lot of this very well in terms of when he used his bench. Him bringing on the front row right as Uruguay getting on top really changed things. And right as Uruguay would bring on their front row replacements as well, which kind of like decimated them as mm. motivation, as momentum, as everything. The other thing he did when he brought on that front row is he also brought on Bastian Chalero. Yes. Who obviously Yikes. is a massive piece of shit. Yeah. A racist, anyone, abusive twat. Yeah, not aware. Uh, he was arrested. He's had, a, you know, been sentenced. Everything else, found guilty of a racially motivated assault on a stranger, in which he screamed a number of slurs and yet yeah, said to be entirely based on the the race of the person he attacked. 
the biggest piece of shit out there. His just quote awful. in the week was, I'm not a racist person. It's like, I don't know, these racist quotes do yeah. say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, the fact that a jury decided you're a racist person, I'm going to trust them yeah. over you. It's exactly what a racist it. person would yeah. say. Oh, mate. So I once confronted a guy who was like screaming some racial slurs outside my window and I kind of like, all around the corner and I went down and like another word, you know, I filmed him and whatever, and, you know, all of this. And eventually he started like focusing on me rather than the guy abusing before and whatever. Uh, but he started telling me over and over again how he's not racist. I was like, I've just been hearing. No, you're not. You are. You've just been screaming like the the worst, you're most racist words over and racist. over again. Like I've got video of it. I can show you. You are racist. You're being very racist right now. And then he started telling me how much he loves like Chinese takeaway. And he was like, Can't be. I love Chinese takeaway. So I'm clearly not racist. I'm like, Right, okay, man. That is an extreme stretch for the. Yeah, I've got. A- you know, and he was like, "Well, we'll, we'll ask the Chinese takeaway. Race. Like, they're they're all they're all good lads. You know, get on with them. The guys that run the Chinese takeaway around the corner from me. So um, I'm not being funny, but if if you call a guy a takeaway boss man once, that doesn't mean that you have all of the street cred in the world. You know? Yeah. Or that they should ignore your arrest for yes, domestic violence. Indeed. Um, anyway, point. This being, has been a huge story in France. It's been a huge story in rugby, which I'm really glad of. Yeah. Because I think often there needs to be a shotlight spot on these shone on these things. And actually, that spotlight has ended up being shone regardless. Yeah. And I think that's good. Yeah. It's been a huge story in France in particular. Gauthier's been under a lot of pressure about this, and it kind of threatened yeah. to take a shine off the World Cup at the start. It's fascinating, because we've said this before, like, in France, everyone, just members of the general public, everyone is behind this entire team. Yeah. Like, apart from him. Mm. He's the one person that everyone's just like, I'm not going to cheer for him. I would cheer for everybody else to my, like, to the absolute maximum that my heart can take. Yeah. But... Not Charleroux. Very, very interesting. Very, very telling. And not Alice, but he's yes. gone now. He's in the, prison. Gautier brought him on at the same time as three other players so that he wouldn't get booed. So yeah. they'd be cheering for four players coming on, not realising that one of them was the one player that they hate and he's getting booed and he's getting a huge, huge backlash against him. I hope he gets kicked out of the somehow. I hope so. I hope so. If France win the World Cup, I don't want him to get a medal. Nah. Just give his medal to Manuel Adal. Yes, 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 we have a deal. Yeah. Okay, we're going to make hey, that you know happen. what they should do? What? They should take the World Cup wins and give it to soldiers. Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> true. And they should pay them footballers' wages. They should. They yeah. should. That's good. Support that's our good. troops. Yeah. So, we'll wrap this up, shall yeah. we? Uruguay, what an amazing performance. And that is a stepping stone yet again. They seem to have one every four years. And they've done that in game one. Yeah. They could get four stepping stones here. Yeah. Uh, it's huge it's so so exciting it's exciting for them but it's also exciting for Chile and Portugal and the other teams and what they can be Yeah, and it also just makes even more of a mockery of the whole World League proposal yes. and how they're going to lock these guys out of games against T1 nations for another four years they've played one in four years and World Rugby will go that's one too many yeah yeah. look at the way they've been able to step up there imagine if they were getting regular game time yeah that would be unbelievable Yeah, at risk of saying this probably in every episode we do this Games like that are just what's the best thing about the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Is seeing stuff like that. It's incredible. And also, a word for France, because genuinely, as much as I would have loved to see Uruguay pull that off, and Uruguay looked gutted at the end of the game, by the way, that they didn't win yeah. that. And Esther says, both at half-time and full-time, will have no doubt been saying to them, like, this is our game. Like, this yeah. is for us to be the best team in the world. But as much as I did want Uruguay to win that, I am very pleased to see France still, you know, on their run unbeaten I'd love to see them top the pool and go as far as they physically can because this is an incredible team with brilliant depth you know yeah that we've had this conversation off air actually that some people might say not the favorites that they've beaten that's their second team and it's like you know what no they've 
chosen to play their second team against Uruguay because they think that's what will walk over them. And now we're at a point where Uruguay can't be walked over by their second team. Yeah. They probably would by their first team, and that's completely different. But yeah. now Uruguay are no longer that team, and that is a thing of beauty. So there's another really significant thing that happened in Uruguay and rugby today. Okay, right. I guess there's three things, right? Okay. One is the president of Uruguay came to this game, and they had a big deal around him and Macron meeting and so on. And there's a great quote from him after the game. He, so he went into the locker room for Uruguay and congratulated the players personally and said there's little more beautiful there's little more beautiful being told that your team plays with passion and he, I, and we saw that tonight and he spoke you know well and spoke to the teams and so oh, on and went into both dressing rooms however the other really important thing that happened today was the Uruguay Minister for Sport in the nation said that rugby is the second most popular sport in the country that's in terms of participation in terms of viewing figures in terms of interest in terms of cultural relevance they now view within the Uruguayan government Rugby is the number two sport in the country. What an achievement. What an achievement. Considering like, how football mad that nation is, yeah. and how basketball, handball, polo, water polo have all been huge sports there in the past, the fact that rugby has grown over the last eight years to such a degree is enormous and shows what's possible in these nations. And look, like I want, I love MLR, I love American rugby, I want that to kick on, I want the 2031 World yeah. Cup to be amazing, and I want them in the next World Cup, I want them back, you know, and I'm real shame they're not here. But the big point for expansion isn't chasing being the fifth biggest sport in America, it's chasing being the second biggest sport in Uruguay, in yeah. Chile, in Paraguay, in Brazil, in Germany, in Spain, in Portugal. It's yeah. chasing being the second biggest sport in countries where football or whatever other sport is enormous... And they don't and develop have, athletes like yeah. that can cross over. But then there's a vacuum underneath it, and there's yeah. not a designated massive second sport. And Uruguay is the model because it's done that. You know, rugby has grown to be the second biggest sport in Uruguay when it wasn't a decade ago. Yeah. You know, it was maybe fifth or sixth. We've done a lot of talking about how, like, you know, Kingsley Jones has disenfranchised so many yeah. Canadian men's rugby fans. However, I think the mark of a coach doing a great job. What is one thing, the results that come up, but when the economy around rugby is genuinely growing and the interest is genuinely growing and the sport is ten times bigger than when you started, again, Pablo Lemoyne deserves a bucket load of credit here, yeah. but Esteban Manet says what an incredible job he's done. We've come full circle on this, and that's a beautiful way to probably wrap this up, but Esteban Manet says he's done one of the best jobs that any professional head coach has done at yeah. World Cup side. And we can but wait and see six days' time Till they play Italy midweek oh, on Wednesday. Oh, what a game. That's going to be one of the biggest games of the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. It has the potential to be the upset. Yeah. The big upset. And it has the potential for this to be the game where we start to talk about Uruguay in the way we talk about Fiji and Georgia. Yeah. Like, they are hitting that standard now. They're a proper rugby nation now. We yeah. can take them for granted in the Rugby yeah. World Cup. We should. What a thing of beauty that is. And look, we should not take them for granted in the way bloody half the broadcasters are and not talking about them. Yeah. But... Yeah, they are a proper team who have a rugby pedigree, a rugby history, and that deserves to be celebrated. Yeah, what a team, what a rugby nation, and good luck to them, and good luck to France as well. I am so proud of their country. Indeed. And as Villaseca said as well. Yeah, he said he was proud of his team, and I think there's actually a lovely difference in those two. Mm. In There's something like once in a generation about the way that Gaminara goes about it. But Villasek has got a real drive of like, no, we're going to get better. He's so driven as a, as a bloke. As he says at the end of his great, interview post-match, this is only the start. Yes. Uh, Which is a very different message to Gaminara saying, we've been preparing this for four years. This is the ultimate yeah. of what we've been building towards. Yeah. 
Villaseca, what an amazing captain. And yeah, that, that's a beautiful way to wrap this up. This is only yeah. the start for Uruguay. Vamos los Terros. Vamos los Terros. I'm going to give my voice a rest. Yeah. And we should go to sleep soon. 2 a.m. In the rugby time for rugby. The rugby's. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.